I've been on that journey too, mm-hmm. figuring, like you say, who you really are. It always sounds so cheesy, right? But it, but it's really not like that's <laughs> the, that's the, that's the, the cerebral kind of, mm-hmm. oh, that's cheesy. I know. Judgment and putting labels on all of the things and being critical of yourself, of myself. Mm-hmm. And, but you get through that cheesy stuff and it's glorious. I know. <laughs> Let's that's be glorious. Yeah. That word again. <laughs> Everybody. Welcome to another episode of Belgariad and Beyond. This is the podcast where we get into lots of magical shenanigans and we're talking about The Porn of Prophecy, which is the first book in the Belgariad series. And this week we're up to chapter 18. My name is Sandra Turnbull and I'm from the Goddess Kindled Universe. Hey guys, I am Alicia Seymour, um, fiction author <laughs> and... <laughs> I'm really enjoying reading this series and chapter 18 I think is one of the best for me again out of the three I've probably said that too so it is an exciting chapter I'm excited to talk about it yeah okay so let's get into our week so how was your week this week Alicia Mm, okay so I I put (laughs) my cup my cup was bittersweet and um, there's a mixture of the bitter part, which is, you know, I had a huge realization, which I can share either now or later, but. Wherever uh, you think it fits best, sweetie. Okay. I'm I mean, share sure. it now. Maybe we get deeper later. Sure. Um, so it was this realization combined with the fact that I've been trying to get past these headaches and also dreams. Um, for the last two or three years of my life, dreams have been really bothersome every single night. But it seems as these realizations come to me and I'm clearing all of this energy that I don't no longer, I'm, wow, that was great English, that I no longer want, <laughs> um, the dreams are becoming more bothersome and I, I don't know what to do about it. Um, so as you're clearing stuff, the dreams are becoming more bothersome. Yeah. Okay, and we'll I, I that more. Yeah, I didn't know you might have insight on that stuff, but I have no idea what to do about it. I haven't been able to figure out how to either stop dreaming or to just shift them into something better. Like I've, I've stopped um, stuff that would, you know, aggravate right before sleep. And mm-hmm. I, I've obviously tried my best to de-stress and all of that. So I'm not sure what it is, but mm. The, the, realize, the realization I had just really quick to touch on was that I've been self-sabotaging myself for like the last two years with almost like every decision I've made. This is mm-hmm. not a quick touch, sweetheart. You just <laughs> as long as you like. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't need to get that deep into it here, but it was just a huge thing when I realized every decision I thought I had made on, on faith, I had actually made on fear. Um, and there was a friend who pointed this out to me two days ago. And then I think it was yesterday, uh, something I was reading actually confirmed that for me in the way that it was worded. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I've been doing. Oh my gosh, that's exactly what she just told me yesterday I was doing. And, um, it was just a huge thing. Like the last 
the last decision I just recently made, which I've talked to you in detail about, mm. has been hanging over me. It was a huge investment that I took on a leap of faith, just hoping that the money would show up to it, you know, to cover it. And of course it hasn't. And when I looked back on when I made the decision, I realized that I wasn't making that decision on faith that the money will come. I made the decision because I was afraid that if I didn't go do this thing, uh, which is a retreat for a week, that I wouldn't have the means or figure out a way to create the life I wanted, to bring in the money I wanted. Hmm. And so it was really, when you get down underneath, it was really an act of fear of why I signed up. Yep. So looking back on many of my decisions the last two years, it was that exactly that situation. I was just, I couldn't see it for what it was. So now I'm, I'm hoping that I have that clarity. Things are going to really start turning around, but mm-hmm. I think, yeah, that that's a combination of my dreams too. Like the, they're related. What's oh, there's no way that they're not related. Yeah. And it may, maybe it would be helpful because there's, n- there's no way that you're not going to dream, sweetheart. This is how you process so much stuff on the spiritual and emotional you know, level. Mm-hmm. You're never not going to dream. But it might help if you, when you remember them, or is that the distressing part, the things that you remember, like the disturbing? Mm, what really is making it hard is that when I wake up in the morning, I get like flashes of some of them. Sometimes I remember all of it. Okay. And- and then I just feel so tired. I don't feel like I got any sleep. Okay. And... So very often, and very often, you know, depending on your esoteric bent, it's the case because we're, we're doing work all night on ourselves. We're going on adventures. We're, we're journeying. We're, we're processing all of this stuff. Now, a lot of that, some of that is physical stress carried mm-hmm. into the night, I think, if we, if we don't spend enough time you know, relaxing our physical bodies in a really intentional way that can just carry through the night and, um, you know, change the mixture of chemicals and hormones in our bodies and that sort of thing. That's just a physiological thing. But when you're dreaming, an interesting thing that I, um, I heard someone talking about recently was that all of the people, all of the metaphor that appears in your dream is you in that in a, in a form that will tell you a story or help you process so the people that you see in your dream even if they're familiar faces are an aspect of you mm-hmm. and so sometimes and, and i found that that's kind of an interesting way to look at it because it helps to really step into that accountable part of it's i think it's easy to just say oh, well it's a, it was a dream i've got no control over that and that is true However, if, you, if, if I see myself in all of the things presented to me in the dream as an aspect of myself trying to work something out, whether that person represents that person or that person represents something that we associate between ourselves and that person, like dreams are metaphor, they're total metaphor. And so maybe if you write down all of the things that you remember as soon as you can, 
-hmm. and then you don't have to go through it straight away but kind of that way it's you've emptied it out just like any journaling practice you empty it out onto the page and once it's on the page it can't morph into something else or trick you into misremembering like you put down what you remember and then later on you can deepen it and go and you might get extra flashes and insights and intuitions and and it will take you you know further down a particular rabbit hole or further into that particular metaphor and help you just to peel extra layers away but you know perhaps that would be a helpful way to work with your dreams rather than looking at it as something that you want to get rid of embrace the experience and really soften into it as parts of yourself that are trying to speak to you right maybe it's interesting <laughs> when, you, when you put in the point of view of like the people that I know the, a lot of the times it is people I know in my dreams people who were either were very close to me at some point and aren't anymore or are still currently like of course my husband and, and daughters are in them frequently but sometimes it does help to see like okay so that's not actually like me seeing them in the dream but that's me seeing part of me yeah. as them <laughs> Yeah. Or like a perception maybe I have or had. So it's them. a really, I think it's a really helpful way to then go in and go deeper into the dream. Yeah, yeah I'll try that and see what happens if things shift in any way. And Ooh. maybe I should start doing like a evening yoga before bed too. Well, I think it doesn't, it doesn't ever hurt. Like to put you, I, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I don't do it all the time, but I'm a big proponent <laughs> of when I'm really in that space of really looking after myself, I put my phone on airplane mode, like at least an hour before I go to bed, mm -hmm. ideally two hours before I go to bed. And then I have, like, I know that a lot of people have a, a morning ritual that gets them lined up for the day. You know, they get up super early and what have you. But I think that the evening ritual you have for yourself is just as important as the morning ritual. And in fact, they are both connected because if you don't have a good evening ritual, you can't have a good morning ritual because you're always yeah. trying to force yourself into a state of being that isn't coming naturally because you didn't look after yourself the night before. So it's all sort of, you know, mm -hmm. like ritual, that sort of thing. But definitely like put your phone on airplane mode stay away from all your electronics you know maybe yeah. go and do some put a yoga video on your com on your computer or wherever you watch your yoga videos but not anything that's connected to something that you're going to go and randomly scroll through be really intentional about it or even if you know a few yoga poses or learn just a few yoga poses you don't have to be like some bloody acrobat doing <laughs> weird and wonderful things on your mat just a few you know, mm -hmm. like really yummy, stretchy poses with a with a with a pillow. Yeah. You can just lie on your yoga mat and do corpse pose for fifteen minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, light a yeah. candle, dim all the lights, light a candle, and just do corpse pose for fifteen minutes. That's yoga, my darlings, and it's like oh, it's hard <laughs> when you start because you think I could be doing all this other stuff. This is such a waste of time, but it's really not. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, my my struggle is because my my kids have yeah. really difficult bedtimes right now, and they're constantly after you put them in bed, they get up like twenty times, and it's like trying to do yoga with that going so on is like I know that it's so frustrating, and I also know that it doesn't last forever. They do eventually go to bed, you know when they turn 
I know. Or something. (laughs) (laughs) So I got 10 more years. (laughs) But maybe, and maybe even, you know, here we are, the coaching show, starring Alicia and Sandra. You know, maybe (laughs) even, you know, if you get to that point where you're so, so frustrated that you just can't do it anymore because they keep getting out of bed, maybe just if you're lying on your yoga mat, just open up your arms, get it, get, get her to come over and just lie down on top of you and like you both do corpse pose together and get your you know use your heart you know the connection of your heartbeats as like a focus and get her mm-hmm. relaxed get you relaxed and then carry her off to bed and have your own little ritual and maybe that's then feeds them enough of that i want mummy energy to then just kind of <laughs> not ask for another glass of water i don't know it's <laughs> <Best> an idea <laughs> yeah yeah that's true that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it all a try this week, starting tonight, and see cool. what I can bring from that. I didn't check the time when we started. I don't know. I don't know. Oh well, maybe this will be our two our first two hour episode. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> anyway, so my week. Shall I get into my week? Sure. Short and sweet. My potion this week is sweet, dry, and bubbly and tastes a lot like champagne because my new book is launched and people are buying it and excited to read it. So that's me. I'm just in celebration mode this week. (laughs) Yay. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. So um, it's called, anybody who wants to check it out, it's called Embodying Earth, Real Magic and Spiritual Self-Care. If Mm -hmm. you are here listening to this podcast chances are you're gonna like it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've read read part of it so i can say that it is definitely really worth it like the little taste you just got what she was talking to me about is everything in that book (laughs) yeah so it's a book full of that sort of stuff that you can guide yourself through Mm -hmm. and in a few weeks i'll be releasing the workbook so it's a version an expanded version of the paperback in a larger form like it's a larger book to hold in your hands and I've put lots of space in there for journaling and drawing and just kind of keeping track of all of the experiences that the book guides you through Mm -hmm. and um, so I'm hoping that it becomes like a personal book of wisdom. Like if, if people choose to use it, they can build their own book of wisdom and kind of, it's just like a, like, a, like, well, you know, if you're a journaler, you will love it. But anyway, that's coming up in a few weeks time, but at the moment you can get the paperback uh, for, for a special price. But by the time you listen to this, it'll be back to regular price. So go check it out anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm sure is still a very reasonable price. So Yes, it's it's very, very very reasonable. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's my week. Yay. Sounds like a great week. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm very, I'm, I'm very happy. Very happy. Yeah. I just a little quick update on my writing. I'm almost done with my first draft for my next novel. Which no is way! Good. By next week, by the next time we record, I'm going to be done with it. Of course, I have to go read back and read. I just got goosebumps like all over my body. Uh-huh. It's so exciting. I've just started. Yeah. Um, I've just started the the revision of Afri's Earth, my first yeah. magical realism novel. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, 
totally, <laughs> totally revising it. And I've, 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 oh my God, my head, I feel a bit, oh, oh I think I'm dizzy. My blood pressure's just gone up. It's very <laughs> exciting. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm so excited yeah. for you. I can't wait to hear about all of it when you finish. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to set, share a little updates here as I go. <laughs> that would be good. Yes, please. Yeah. <sighs> all right. Okay, so, so on to <laughs> Gary interview, yeah. please. Okay. So I don't know. This is pretty vague um, summary here, but Gary, he's on the run through the corridors, you know, because Ashrak's chasing him. His, his guards are chasing him. He can't tell who is who, who's good, who's bad. They all look the same to him. Um, so he like goes up these stairs. He, you know, barely escapes with his life or something with these two guys that decide to attack each other instead of him. So he gets away. And then up in this room, he, he's looking for, he can't figure out where he's at. So he's looking for a way out and he finds this like really dark corridor and goes through it. Um, and he finally finds a light and follows it only to find out that it overlooks the throne room. And that's where all of his like buddies are down there having conversations. And he waits till like the very end to be like, Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm up here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the chapter. Okay. Yes, it's a very succinct way of putting a very exciting chapter. Mm-hmm. Well done. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. Yeah. So Wolf's wisdom is where we dive into the meat of the chapter, and that's what we're going to do now. Yep. Yeah, because the first chapter was really just kind of um, what do you call it? The first the chapter. What? What? The, no, the first half of the chapter is just like description of him on the run right um well yeah yeah so So you sound like it was a bit confusing or even a bit annoying no it wasn't confusing I think that's why I just felt that it was easy to summarize it I guess because there wasn't as much dialogue going on it was more yeah it's following Gary and on the run yeah (laughs) there's a lot of internal stuff going on like a lot of internal description of how he's feeling and Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few really important things that happen, though. So this chapter picks up after he's turned around and run away from Asherak, who came out of his bedroom when he was sent back to his bedroom by Aunt Paul. And so um, he snapped out of that that sort of vague headspace that he was in after Aunt Paul broke the connection between him and Asherak and sent him back to his room. Asherak stepped out. He snapped out of this dazed state and just run away mm-hmm. and the, but the problem is he doesn't know who's a friend and who's not so there are warriors everywhere but some of them are ashrak's men and some of them are cherik warriors and he like all the they're all cheriks but some of them are friends and some of them are foes and he doesn't know which ones to go to and and i, I love how that's described as both frustrating but also frightening like it kind of amps up his fear because he he has to be afraid of everybody because even though some of them he doesn't need to be afraid of he doesn't know who they are so i I, it's this is the point like as i was reading through this chapter my heart started like (gasps) thudding i could i could feel the um i started to get really like amped up myself as i was reading it so yeah because i think 
I'll let you talk in a minute. Oh, sorry. I'm just <laughs> it's okay. like, I am. Um, this is one of those chapters that I skim through really fast because I think I get so excited mm-hmm. and so kind of like, Ooh, you know, a bit frightened myself for Gary. And I'm so like inside the story that I, this is one of those ones that I skim through, but this time reading it for the show, I like slowed right down. I even stopped a couple of times and went back because I realized I'd started skimming mm-hmm. to read every word and holy crap my heart was beating so fast yeah it was a good chapter um I might have done the skimming this time because it's my first (laughs) time going through it so it was kind of like yeah I want to see what's going to happen you know yeah so so he's running he's he's just running and he he figures that the higher he goes, the less danger he'll be in because somehow he logics out that all the fighting will happen, you know, down near the main rooms. Mm-hmm. And so he sort of spots a, a, a staircase and, and darts up it, but halfway up realises he's got nowhere to go. If, if someone else appears, he can't get out because it's just a narrow corridor. Now, I want you to describe this particular scene because... Oh, I think it's kind of, I think it's really important in Garion's story. And I just want to see what you think of it and what stood out for you. Oh. Well, I wouldn't have ever guessed that it was anything important <laughs> by reading it. But I just got the feeling like as soon as he started to panic of like, wait, I don't have anywhere to go. It's kind of like, well, you don't really, I, I hadn't really considered that either. Like running up a staircase would kind of block you as to your options so I think it's just when the first he sees somebody above him um, and then he wants to run down but somebody shows up below too so he's like trapped in there then Mm -hmm. and the way I envision it and maybe this is something I overlooked was that I don't know if I skimmed it or what but I just felt like it seemed too coincidental that First, that the man at the top seems to want him, Garion, but then he spots the other guy below, and all of a sudden they only have eyes for each other, and they just start attacking each other and let Garion slip by. That's how I interpreted it. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, that, that in a very brief statement, yes, that's exactly what happens. Like the, the, the warrior appears at the top, one appears at the bottom, one of them yells out to him, um, the one at the bottom has a sword. The one at the top has an axe. Mm-hmm. And they're obviously on opposite sides. So one of them's an Asherak uh, warrior. One of them's um, one of King Anak's warriors. And they do spot each other. And all of a sudden, Garion, it, it, it's like he pushes himself up against the side of the staircase. And these two warriors just go for each other. And and who knows why that is. I've never been in a battle where weapons are being drawn and I have any desire to like <laughs> poke it into another person. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can imagine that it would like just reading this stuff. Uh, my heart starts beating faster. And my blood feels like it's flowing faster, which obviously is because my heart's beating faster. But, you know, so if that happens to me just from reading this, the description of it and imagining it in my head, mm-hmm. It must be pretty fucking full on, like for them. So I can yeah. totally imagine that. That yeah, they just want to. They just want to do each other in. 
And but the just the thing that kind of that I think is really important about this particular scene for Garion's story is it's the first time he's seen up close people killing each other, people really doing damage. Like I know that he's been in that fight, that little fight back in wherever it was, Doreen or wherever. Mm-hmm. But this is like full on, up close and personal, in front of his friggin' face, swords sliding through a body. And 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 the way it's described, I actually feel a little nauseated when I read this scene, which is spectacular. You know, the way that he just the, the author describes the dagger thrusts that each of the men, each of the warriors are, are performing as mm-hmm. they tumble past Garion down the stairs because the one at the bottom has run up the stairs and his swords just slid into the warrior at the top who's lunging down mm-hmm. towards him and the sword just goes through him and makes no difference at all because all that happens is the one that's tumbling down is pulls out his dagger and plunges it into the chest of the other guy. But the way it's described as the sickening sounds and I could the squelching, I can just hear like this kind of sound in my head with the knives going in and out. of like they're both stabbing each other in the chest as they go down. Like it, it, it totally doesn't matter that, you know, they're sticking sharp objects into each other. They're having it. They're, they're like doing it till none of, till neither of them can like right. do any more. And Gary, yeah. you know, and so that's the thing that I think is important here. The fact that Gary has this up close and personal experience of what humans can do to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It even talks about him retching at the sounds yeah. and the smells of it all. So yeah. Like- that would be nauseating so that's when he gives up his trying to be stealthy and just books it <laughs> to get it out well, of yeah, there and you can i can i could feel the panic i don't know about you it just says he we forgets about trying to as you say be stealthy and just takes off because mm-hmm. i'd fucking take off too yeah right so this is where he arrives up in that room right is yeah so he just he just he he just runs and runs and runs um and then he 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 goes through the door of a chamber and push and just closes the door and leans against the door, just kind of trying to gather himself. And there's a, a, you know, there's a, it's just an unused room, you know, a big sagging bed and a little window and a couple of broken bits of furniture. So this is when he looks out the window, right? And tries to see if he can figure out where in the castle he is. And he realizes he has no idea. He drags the chest over to the window to try and, like, it's a good idea. Top marks going, but he has no idea where he is. Mm -hmm. But at least it was, it's a place out of the way. So it's kind of created a little safe space for himself out of the way of the savage men who are killing each other out in the halls. (laughs) And, but he, he quickly realizes that it's not really safe. It's just, like an illusion that of safety and because if someone opened the door they'd you know just he'd be trapped there's nowhere for him to go this is where he discovers that opening behind the drapes yes so yeah some raggedy drapes against a uh, he pulls them back that it doesn't lead to another room but it's a dark and narrow hall he hesitates at first to go in there that's when he decides to look out the window instead Mm -hmm. um but then after he knows he has no idea where he is 
and he gets down realizes he needs to cover up his footprints and he yeah, tries to do so that that's a lovely descriptor about the state of the room like the, the state of the furniture yep okay we can understand that it's an unused kind of abandoned room but the fact that he's left really clear footprints Mm-hmm. In the dust kind of speaks to how much dust is actually on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I like that. So he decides that his best option then is to go through that dark hallway. He drags the, first of all, he drags the bolster off the bed around on the floor to kind of wipe out the footprints. So that takes care of that. So if someone glances in, they won't see that immediately that he's been in there. So it's a little bit clever. Yeah. Um, and it talks about him in the hallway feeling the cobwebs on his face, but he can't see anything. Like, this is where I really felt it. Oh, did you? <laughs> More than that fight scene, I could just feel that sensation of, like, reaching into the dark. You don't know what you're going to touch. Yeah. And, like, and, like, it's not just it's not just dark. It's complete absence of light. Like, you cannot mm-hmm. see anything in this, in this little yeah. corridor behind the, right. the curtain. Right. And then he starts like imagining, what if I just step and then fall completely straight down? So he slows down to make sure he has his footing if anything were to happen like that. Yep. Um, He keeps going. And he finds a wall. He thinks it's a dead end, realizes that the hallway actually just turns to the right. Mm -hmm. And that's where he sees like a little bit of light. Mm -hmm. So he starts going towards it. Um, and of course, this is when he uh, figures out that that he's actually overlooking the throne room, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and everybody he knows is down there. Yes, so they're they're all kind of just sitting around, um, looking quite serious. Well, yeah. he was about to call down to them when he realized that that flaxen-haired man. Sorry, say so that say so that again. So he's looking down at them. You know, everyone's there, Aunt Paul and Barak's wife and Wolf and the kings and queens. Uh, and the silk, silk pacing the floor nervously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, and Garen just feels such, such a surge of relief. And I must admit, I do at this point. I'm like, this is where I go, oh, okay, it's all okay. Yeah. And he goes to call down, but the doors of the throne room bang open and someone comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's Barak and the Riven Warder. So do you remember the, who the Riven Warder is before we go no. any further? Okay, so he is, uh, the, the Rivens don't have uh, a king, remember, because the king was killed by the Neosons. So the Riven Warder stands in place of the Riven King because they don't have a king. So basically he like is the caretaker of the country in place of a king. And okay. so he's called the Reven Warder. And he seems to be a pretty big dude because he can hold, um, he's, he's compared to Barak, as powerful as Barak. So he's a pretty, pretty big dude. Mm-hmm. And he and Barak come in to the throne room with the struggling form of the flaxen-haired man between them. And Garion recognises him as the man that he saw when they were out boar hunting. The flaxen-haired man and Jarvik are the same person, right? Yes. The flaxen-haired man is Count Jarvik. Okay. Um, But the man in the green cloak is somebody else. The man in the green cloak is employed by Jarvik to to spy on the king. 
Okay. Yeah, I was, I was confusing myself when I was reading this for a minute, but then I was like, no, I think it's. Yeah. So um, the order of it is Asherek pays Jarvik, mm-hmm. who pays the man in the green cloak. So that's the order of diabolicalness. <laughs> I don't think that's a word. I just made it up. So, yeah. So they the, say so Arneg starts in a Jarvik, who, who is, seems quite arrogant. Javik seems quite arrogant and like, well, you know, whatever. If it had gone differently, I'd be in that throne right now. So, Puh. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't want to talk. They're asking him to tell him what happened. And yeah. You know, saying I'd rather bite out my tongue before I tell you anything. Yeah. Okay. So you talk about this next bit. Yeah. This part, I don't know if I missed something, but I know, you know, Aunt Paul does something to him with her stare. Is that what it is? <laughs> well, I want to know what it, how, what <laughs> is. I want to know what your understanding is because I know all the things you see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, she does something where she like stares at him and he becomes really afraid or really upset by whatever. I don't know if she's making him see something or feel something that's just horrifying to the point that he never wants to feel or see it again. And so he's like, all right, I'll talk, just take it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't really know what it is specifically. Well, I'll talk about that. I think I picked that for later on. I'll talk about that later on. Okay. But yeah, so. that's pretty much how you've described it is pretty, pretty full on. Like it's so horrifying to Jarvik that he literally screams and begs her to take it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he'll, and he agrees to talk. Yeah, so I think it's into all of this explanation of what, how it all started. Yeah, so do you want me to go through that just quickly? Sure. <laughs> okay, so basically um, King Arneg is actually quite, he's, he's quite compassionate, like, like in a, um, not a condescending way, but just a really, like he seems quite sad that it's this, this Cherok person has come to this sort of treason. Um, but basically... Cherik Javik is a bit of a dick, a spoiled rich dick who wanted more money and found a way to make money by meeting up with Asherak in Sandaria, um, who asked him to do quite, you know, things that really weren't very treasonous. They were just a bit yucky, you know, mm. answering questions and general stuff, and he paid him for it. And he paid the thing about the thing that's important about this particular exchange is, is that he, the Angarak Asherak paid Javik with Mergo gold, red gold. So that you'll, you'll read more about that as the story goes on, but red gold from the mines of Cthul Murgos has seems to be imbued with this magical quality like wolf, wolf. I don't know if you saw it, but wolf comments, yes, red gold calls to its own. So it seems to have this this way of making you greedy for more of it. Yeah. yeah. So that's sort of that's sort of maybe one of the important things about this that Javik just threw away all of his scruples and committed absolute treason on a country that he loved because he wanted more of this gold because the, the feeling was so overwhelming that he couldn't resist it. Mm-hmm. And so, and then eventually he agreed to bring the Murgo into Cherik 
which is doubly treasonous because that's like the oldest law they have no ang no no angrax in Cherik. and so he's done this and then he's spot on the king so it's like he's just like yeah so and it is quite sad the way it's presented like he's it's almost like this spell is yeah okay you're a weak idiot but this spell has been cast on you and this is really a despicable thing that we now have to punish you for because we have no other choice you've created this situation and now you just have to lie right in the middle of the shit yeah who is it that asks him what he wanted mr wolf yes what ashrak's price was what did he want in return for making him king because um, ashrak promised to make Jarvik king if he brought him over mm -hmm. yeah he said that there was a boy about 14. Yeah, he said such a small thing. He wanted such a small thing. I couldn't believe he was going to make me king for just this tiny little thing. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, King Fulrock kind of chimes in and he's like the boy Garion. And this is where I was a little bit confused. Were you telling how it came across and I shall explain things? It's right after King, is it Fulrock? King Fulrock. King, King Fulrock. Okay, so he says the boy Garion. Why would Ashrek want him? And it's not until this moment, while all this crazy battle has been going on throughout the castle, that Aunt Pole first starts to feel afraid for Garion's safety. Yeah. Well, because she, understand. she because she thinks that Garion is safe in his room. But if they're all throughout the castle, wouldn't she feel more concerned? Like That's interesting. That these guys are running everywhere through the halls. And, you know, I think that would have been my first instinct is to go make sure he's okay. That's very interesting. I, yes. I mean, but I can, I can imagine that she would just believe that Garion had followed her instructions to the letter. Mm -hmm. Because especially if she had done some kind of magic with him, when she broke that connection and then gave him the instruction and perhaps she trusted that though, that that instruction was powerful enough to take, to, to take him where he was supposed to go. And that was that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess that casts up other questions like is Gary is his mind in, uh, such a mind that it shakes off? these kinds of spells more easily than other people because it's not the first time that he's kind of you know come out of a of, of a state of like where you where the others minds have been put to sleep there was that one other instance when they were hiding from the um the other riders on the road when yeah. hole and wolf put their minds to sleep he didn't stay asleep he woke he was like half half of it's interesting. It's like when you were talking before about we've been operating from your mind and operating from your heart. It's mm -hmm. like part of him was awake and part of him was asleep. And yeah. it was almost like the part of him that was asleep was this part, this mind part that gets in the way. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, you're right. It's, it is like really like it's almost unbelievable, but, if I stretch it a little bit and like look at it from that point of view, I I could believe it. I'm not I'm not totally incredulous. Right. 
Yeah, I just had a really hard time <laughs> believing her reaction here because she's like, it says, Aunt Pole's single frightened gasp carried even up to where Garion was concealed, and then she yells for Dernick. Well, and also, uh, uh, b- before you go, and but also because they, do, they don't realise how much Asherak wants Garion. Like, yes, they've been connected, but that mm-hmm. could have been anything. She could be thinking it's because of me that, that they had this connection. Or maybe. So maybe we're seeing something as readers that she hasn't, is still, like, unaware of. Yeah. Could be. Could be. It just, the way it was written just threw me off. <laughs> so, yeah, but, yeah, keep going. So she, so but, they find out that it's scary and that he wants. Yeah, so Dernick, you know, goes to run up and see if he's okay into his room. But then that's when Garion decides, maybe I should let them know I'm here. <laughs> yeah, like, bloody hell, Garion, really? He's dropping again. <laughs> <laughs> and so they tell him, to, she tells him to come down immediately. And he's like, I don't know how, I'm lost. And yeah. And then she tells him, like, well, okay, we'll stay there. We'll figure out a way to get you down. And then the, his last line is just like, I hope so. You know, it's kind of like that's an odd yeah, it's kind of it's the whole chapter's been this this adrenaline field kind of and then right at the end it's like everyone gets everyone kind of deflates a little bit and goes oh okay <laughs> yeah it's just his i hope so is funny to me <laughs> really that's i mean you know yeah. that they're like wizards and sorcerers and stuff right i'm sure they can get you down <laughs> And that's the end of the chapter. Oh, oh my word. That was a pretty short chapter. It was good, intense. It was an intense chapter. Yeah, I really liked that chapter. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Me too. So on to the magic. Okay. What was your moment of magic in this chapter? Okay, so before I said I'd talk more about the force of Aunt Paul's will on Jarvik in that moment where the a riven water and barrack, drag him in to, you know, confess what's going on. And I just really, the intensity of that kind of magical connection where it's mind to mind with no other action, word or indication or exchange of expression going on apart from the focus that she has on him just this eyeball to eyeball contact. There is so much incredibly powerful magic in just that, you know, eyeballing someone, getting that kind of intimate connection. Mm-hmm. You know, you let all the sorcery of this story fall away and that is still a really powerful connection that breaks through barriers and makes people weep and makes people cry, makes them angry makes them defensive like there is so much power in that raw connection so that's my magic that's a good one (laughs) i like that um i chose garion's bravery in this chapter specifically the moment when he decides to enter that tunnel that's completely you know you can't see anything at all because it's Mm -hmm. like I don't know that takes a lot of guts and not many people would actually have the bravery to step in there they might try to go out and find another way especially with cobwebs yeah yeah so i thought that was magical 
he was able to do that. Very, very Especially good. for a young person. I see that. Personal insight. Yep. So my personal insight is kind of deep this week. Oh, I, I, was, I wrote it down. I was in a very deep state of mind when I wrote this down earlier today. <laughs> but in, when Aunt Paul is working her will on Jarvik, Queen Oslina is like really intensely focused on how she's doing it, trying to mm-hmm. like, because she fancies herself a bit of a mystic, a bit of a sorceress herself, you know, but she's not really. And she's really, she's desperate to know how Paul is working her will on Jarvik, but, but she can't, she can't bear the visible power of it working. You know, when he starts screaming and he's begging her to take it away and he, she flinches like Queen Oslina flinches. She can't, she can't bear the power of it. And I just was reminded of the way, you know, I uncover when I'm doing really deep self-inquiry, you know, the really big stuff, the raw, powerful questions, mm-hmm. you know, to get, to get to work through emotional blockages and triggers and, you know, the big buttons that get pressed and I react in certain ways that, you know, in patterns that are harmful to me. And so when I'm doing that kind of deep work yeah, and I uncover the bit of wisdom like I sort of get get beneath all of the hard stuff and get to the wisdom. Um, I I get I I sometimes get quite afraid of the power that I find there, you know, mm-hmm. and both the act of discovering what's there is really powerful, and then then being there and staying with it long enough for it to invite me to like embody what it's trying to teach me and bring that back up to the surface is quite. It just reminded me of that reaction that Iselina had because, uh, you know, often, any number of times, I will just kind of flinch and, and I can't bear it and I have to turn away until, you know, I'm ready to, like, really go down and take it back with me. So, yeah, that was my personal insight. <laughs> yeah. Is it too deep? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be a little deep, but it's also really, like, insightful, you know, because not all of us have... ability to do that kind of work or even go there or understand what it means and it's fascinating to hear you know from the people who do I'm just starting to kind of explore that I think for myself and I see that and it's so exciting (laughs) I I just I sit here celebrating Mm -hmm. these breakthroughs that you're having and 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 you know I even celebrate the hard stuff that you come to and you have and you kind of you lean into each time you lean into something difficult I just you know I almost want to weep <laughs> with with the joy of this um coming to yourself that you're that you're doing it's just I mean I just love you yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you I mean this this stuff here is, has been a huge part in it for me so <laughs> no I'm appreciative of it um let's see my but my moment my personal insight i went back to that that dark tunnel again just i don't know what the i don't know why that jumps out at me so much but i just remember being younger like around teenage or a little bit younger thinking 
you know, let's, let's see where this is going to lead, knowing full well that it could be something dangerous, but going anyways. Yeah, it was just, you know, outside somewhere and I'd wander off down, like following the river or something to where there was nobody oh, around or, yeah, or, or things where, you know, it's like a alcove of some kind and, yeah. You know, you want to see, like, is there something hidden back here? <laughs> and just curiosity gets the better of you, I guess. So, yep, yep, I get that. Yeah, I relate to that one. Sorry, I wasn't facing my microphone just then. I'm just, I've once again forgotten to choose a book, so I'm just <laughs> going through my stack okay. of books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we are on to Prophecy Speaks already. Yes, we are. Do you want me to go first? Sure, you go ahead. Okay, so this week I'd like to ask about... Okay, there's a particular physical issue that I've got going on with my body. Mm-hmm. And it's a very surface issue, but it's really fucking annoying. <laughs> <sighs> and as with all things, I completely believe that all of the physical things that manifest in my body have an emotional component that anchors them and create some kind of blockage, mm-hmm. um, especially chronic stuff and stuff that is there for a long time that you get rid of and comes back and you get rid of and it comes back or it, you never quite get rid of it. Especially those things yeah. have quite deep emotional roots, I think. And this is the kind of work that I do with my clients and I find it really hard to do it with myself sometimes, you know. <laughs> but this particular thing, I would really like to know to get a real to, to get a handle on how to approach releasing it, how to approach working with it, how to approach accepting it, or whatever the bloody hell it is I need to do because I had enough of it. <sighs> That's okay. a good one. <laughs> during this period young children from the privileged class all began their studies with the chinese classics the classical elements of japanese culture were still retained in their early training traditional japanese flute playing and the recitation of writing or and writing of poetry were just a few hobbies of the well-to-do youth at that time Gishin Funakoshi, Gishin Funakoshi, she, let me try that again. (laughs) Gishin Funakoshi, sorry, sorry, any Japanese listener, that was atrocious, forgive me, passed his test to enter medical school, but due to the fact that he still had his samurai top knot, was not accepted as a student of the school. Many gentrified families were unhappy with the changes that were taking place in Japan. They refused to accept the changes around them and consequently joined what was known 
as the obstinate party. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm actually putting my feet on the ground. That's just so, uh, that's, that's so amusing. <laughs> So, I'm sorry, I'm reading this from the Reiki source book by Bronwyn and Franz Stein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm being really, really stubborn about something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm unhappy with the changes that are taking place. <laughs> and I'm clinging on to this old thing, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But there's also another little thing in here that I picked up. I've recently started playing and singing in a band again. Yeah. Um, but one of the, I haven't been practicing one of the instruments and it's um, a woodwind instrument. They, they touch on Japanese flute playing and mm-hmm. it's not a Japanese flute, but it's a saxophone. So it's the one thing that I have been really stubborn about not practicing Mm-hmm. And it is it is related to a, a kind of a big thing that happened to me when I was about 15, um, tied up in that period of my life. So I can see how picking it up again consistently, because I pick it up every now and then and just give it a blart and, you know, <laughs> disgusted with myself with the fact that it doesn't sound like it used to because I was a really, really good player. Um Okay, this gives me something to work with, like a, an, 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 like an action. So music for healing has mm-hmm. kind of become a thing at the moment. So the singing that I'm doing and the, you know, the breathing that I'm doing to bring the singing out in a really full way. Yeah. So maybe I just need to do some sax practice every day, huh? Yeah, it's time to add that instrument to your... Uh, arsenal of music yeah okay cool actually that's really helpful cool excellent done your turn awesome okay so i have the book this is a new book that was brought to my attention this last week called intuition on demand i don't necessarily like the title but the book's really good and it's by lisa k And uh, my question is kind of deep (laughs) and it might be more than just a quick answer, but I want to know what's the best way to get the answers and guidance to the big questions that I have going on in my life right now? Because like I mentioned to you earlier, I don't know that we recorded that part, but my thinking mind is so much in control. My intuition can't like even have, have a chance to step in and like actually give me the guidance. Yeah. So even if I try to do intuitive work or something, my thinking mind is always like the answering one. Yeah. And so I want to know how to move past that so I can get the answers to the really big questions I have. So let's see. I'm doing the Kindle again. I'm just flipping here. An important aspect to practicing with your intuition is to select good exercises for intuition and know how to practice properly. Ideally, you should practice with a partner that is someone who is of like mind and interested in helping you or interested in improving their intuition 
So you can change roles during your exercises. Again, there is a right way and a wrong way to do intuition exercises, and this will be explained in a later chapter. Also, later in the book, there will be many great intuition exercises you can do at home or with a partner. So what is it specifically yeah. about that that pops out to you? Mm, I think the fact that I need to find what works for me. Like she says there's a right and a wrong way. Do I don't know what she, I don't know what she really means by that. What do you what does it okay, don't worry about what she means. What does it mean to you? I think the way it's phrased there comes off to me like there can't really be a wrong way, can there? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have my own, I have my own <laughs> perspective on this. I am asking you what your, what does it say to well, you? What is your intuition about this particular thing? Well, everything that I've been reading lately and, you know, working on within, I've really learned that there's not a wrong way. You have to find the way that works for you and do it that way. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that... Uh, yeah sorry no just the, the last thing is that for me like following a step by step doesn't work like I don't I don't do well with that and she does have I've already read this whole book she does have step by step stuff that some of it yeah it helps with me with my guidance of like how to do intuition work but mm -hmm. I think I'm already ready to leave those exact steps behind and mm -hmm. instead use the other books I've that have really helped me with this stuff as guidance to do my intuition work. Okay. So you have <laughs> just answered your own question, my darling. Yeah. So that's it. As I, I really enjoyed this book, but I still think that the books that really helped me are, are my answer. And the this thing book helped me get where I needed to be. So. Yes. Yes. That's it. And the thing that stands out to me about this is that you asked how to follow your intuition <laughs> and you read something and you followed your intuition by saying, well, this is not how I followed my intuition and you trusted it. Yeah. Do you see that you did that? <laughs> yeah, I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. So that's very cool. That's a big mm -hmm. deal. Yeah, it is. I just want to, I mean, maybe I even need to give up because she gives like those exercises so that you can test yourself. Like I said, when I'm following a car and I'm driving, it's one of the things she says is to ask your intuition, where is this car going to exit? Mm -hmm. Every, almost every single time I'm wrong. <laughs> and so... It's like, okay, maybe I'm not meant to use these exercises or maybe it is my thinking mind is too much in control and it's just throwing stuff out there. Or you know? maybe it's not important for you to know so you just don't care. Yeah, that could be it. Like if it was going to be like, it was, if it was something that was going to cause an accident and you had to know, and you had an intuition to watch out because that mm -hmm. car's going to turn left, you mm -hmm. would totally listen to that. 
Right. <laughs> Maybe that is the problem. Those little exercises for me. I don't I don't care. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. So what okay. is your prediction for the next chapter? I put that they're going to leave Cherrick because of all this that's happened, uh, that they think it's not no longer safe for Gary in here. And they're going to venture on to their next destination, wherever that is, to continue the hunt for the one in possession of the thing they're after, which is how it's always basically described. Are <laughs> <laughs> you getting a bit fed up with that, are you, Del? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like we already know who and what it is. Just start saying it. We don't officially know yet. And maybe there's a reason we don't know officially yet. Could be. Okay, okay. so hashtag I wrote one down. Oh, thank God, because I, I didn't. What a surprise. <laughs> um, my hashtag I put is I hope so. Oh, that's sweet. Okay, let's do that. I hope so. <laughs> All right. Okay, listeners, my darlings. I just love that you're here listening to us. Um, the special secret hashtag for this episode is hashtag I hope so. <laughs> and we hope you use that hashtag on social media when you talk to us, um, share your own little bit of prophecy or start a conversation about the podcast or ask your questions or geek out over the characters in the story or whatever. Just say hi. On, um, you can get find us on Instagram and Facebook and no, you can't find us on Twitter. I no, it's mm-hmm. it exists, but it's invisible. There's nothing there, so don't try <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> Instagram and Facebook are our favourite places, and we have a website where you'll find all of the clickable stuff to find out more about us and more about the things we do and more about the episodes and how we set everything out and the show notes and all of the good stuff. So you'll find us at belgariadandbeyond.goddesskindle.com. And we hope that you do. And what did I forget, Alicia? Um, on iTunes, you can leave ratings and reviews for us, please. Please, please, please. Great. That would be great. Yeah, it would be. There was something else, but it already flew away from my mind. So it must not have mattered that much. <laughs> Um, Oh, I just want to say how much I'm enjoying chatting with Dawn, who, who chats with us on our Facebook page and Dawn, you are just glorious. And I do a little happy dance in my chair every time you reach out to us. So keep that shit up. (laughs) (laughs) I know I need to get on that more. I haven't even seen since the first conversation. I haven't, I just... I've tapped out of social media, but I oh, want to be, I want to be on that Facebook page and on our Instagram. Well, get on with it. That's, that's, I can't make you do that. I know. I just don't <laughs> know what. <laughs> that's the next thing I need to figure out is planning okay. my day between everything. So yes, I'll make time for it. All right, cool. But that's it. That's us. We're done. See you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>
another excellent episode. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. It was really good. Thank you for your insight because that was very helpful. Well, that's my pleasure. I do like to talk. <laughs> yeah.